Welcome back to Cookie the Books with me, Jilly Smith, in which food tells a deeper story through four food moments. This week we're overlooking the Atlantic, virtually speaking, as we catch up with the girls behind the gills of Oliver's Seafood Shack. Obviously for me, um, our main shellfish supplier for prawns, lobsters and crab is Josh, who's my other half. So we, I see like firsthand how hard they work, how many hours they're going out. You know, he's up at five in the morning, home at seven at night and, you know, all through the winter and it's full on. But before we meet Kirsty Scobie and Fenella Renwick, this month we're finding out about Superlooper, the children's clothing rental business that could save the planet. Founder Jenny Barrett tells us why. Yeah, well, Superlooper is an online pre-loved baby clothing library for a community of parents who want to reduce some of the waste that happens when we have babies. They want to be proactive about it. Instead of owning clothes that only get worn for such a short time, parents can rent them for as long as they need, and then when baby grows out of them, return them and any other outgrown baby clothes to the Superloop to be enjoyed by other families. And we'll find out more about this brilliant idea each week through February. Now, Kirsty and Fenella had no idea that their little seafood shack, just a road back from the beach in Ullapool, would spawn an award-winning book. But winning the Jane Grigson Trust Award for New Food Writers has cast them into new waters. The stories of the sea, the local fishermen and the scallop divers set against 80 delicious recipes reminds us that food is much, much more than what's on the plate. Kirsty told me that the response has been a bit of a shock as word even spread to the mighty Mary Berry. Yeah, it's pretty awesome, really. (laughs) It's been amazing. I mean, we never expected it when we started up the shack. It was just kind of, you know, something we both wanted to do and thought, you know, it'd be a good job, hopefully make some money by it and have, you know, have a bit of fun. And then, yeah, it's just all kicked off. So it's been great. It's been pretty amazing. Yeah, it's pretty overwhelming in a way. It's, yeah, it's good. In what way, Fenella? Well, I mean, as Kirsty says, when we started, we never thought it would kind of kind of take off as well as it had. You know, we were happy serving the first couple of years, maybe 50 people at the most a day, making a bit of a living. But I mean, we've just had the most amazing support and people behind us that have kind of believed in what we can do and just love the whole idea of the shack. And the area's got busier as well. So yeah, it just seems to have gone really well. So take us back to the beginning then. Tell us the story of the shack. How did it start? Who had the idea in the first place? Um, Well, we both kind of had the idea um, and we were pretty lucky that we both kind of seemed to think the same, have the same kind of um, drives and what we wanted to do with the shack. Um, Kirsty's fiancé, he's a fisherman and at the time my um, husband was doing a lot of scallop diving. So we knew that we wanted to do um, a shack and not have a restaurant um, just because of the kind of the over the overheads and the rates and you know Ullapool's very quiet in winter time um, and we had the produce there with Kirsty's um, with Josh sorry and Mark um, and in Ullapool there's so much fish and shellfish landed um, through every day um, and a lot of it was going abroad and you know some down to London and things so we had everything that we needed there. So we wanted to try and make use of it. Um, there, there are a few restaurants and pubs in Alapool that do do shellfish, but nothing that purely does fish and shellfish. And we knew instantly that that's what we wanted to do. We wanted to concentrate on fish and shellfish. So yeah, we kind of put our heads together, came up with the shack and um, got the used as many local people as we could to kind of get it all up and running. 
and then yeah, opened on uh, on May 2016 and haven't looked back really. We're just really <laughs> lucky to have all the produce on our doorstep. Yeah, I mean it's a, it's a really fantastic story, and and the book, the seafood check, actually kind of tells that story almost in retrospect. I just wonder which came first, the kind of the vision of it, the kind of the the feeling of revolution. You know, you say very clearly how you want to change people's perceptions about seafood and 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 localism and what fishermen do and all those stories you tell so beautifully in the book. But I wonder if that was part of the story when you first set up. Yeah, yeah, it definitely was, I think, actually, because that was because, you know, when we started the shack, we could have easily kind of gone down that route of buying in cheaper seafood, you know, frozen fish. um, And we probably would have made a lot more money from it. (laughs) But, you know, it was kind of never our intention. It wasn't even really a discussion. But yeah, we never even we never ever even spoken about that. It was just kind of like we would we would only eat seafood. You know, obviously, some people were fortunate enough that we can do that. And all for enough that people that come and visit they should be able to get that as well so why kind of mess with that and you know the the guys here a lot of their produce as you'll probably know goes off in a lorry and off to europe and all the rest of it yeah. uh, we just wanted to play you know a small part in it but a part of keeping that seafood in Alpo, keeping it local you know showing all the visitors um, and and local people you know what it's like just to be able to eat the fresh stuff that we can get here so it was always kind of a our idea really which is which is nice yeah. I love the stories of you both you seem to have the perfect childhood of just kind of running free you know spending the whole day playing around and then just kind of coming home for your tea yeah yeah well um, I actually grew up down in Ahmore which is about an hour and 20 minutes away from Alpool yeah our childhoods seem to be kind of yeah running wild um, yeah. out till the darkness and things like that so I don't think we really appreciated it yeah. very probably but I think it's that spirit isn't it that spirit yeah. of literally kind of taking stuff out of the sea you know picking up what's on the ground yeah. you know it's it's very uncomplicated yeah, exactly. what you're doing it's yeah. really pure yeah. let's go into some of your food moments you're the fishermen's interviews, for example, you really give the the, the whole place uh, a real spirit of the work that goes into it. And it's the work which has so much joy. Tell us about some of the fishermen who you write about. I guess, yeah, that's always was always a massive part of the book for us. And we really wanted to get that in because obviously for me, um, our main shellfish supplier for prawns, lobsters and crab is Josh, who's my other half. So, you know, and him, him and his business partner Hedel and who he has the boat with, you know, runs the boat with. So we, I see like firsthand how hard they work, how many hours they're going out. You know, he's up at five in the morning, home at seven at night and, you know, all through the winter and it's full on. And a lot of people just don't get that. You know, a lot of people come and they'll be like, you know, why don't you have langoustines on today when it's blowing a hooli outside or whatever. And I guess for us... Like we just wanted to show people, you know, what what goes into it and that it's not, you know, how it works and it's and it's hard work. And then it didn't just stop there because then you've got, you know, our oysters coming from a friend of ours, Joe, who's got an oyster farm up here before. Anyway, for me personally, before we opened the shack, I had no idea how oysters were grown and how, you know, you would go about it. So, you know, it's just interesting for us learning that. And it was so fun. It was kind of like 
feel like everyone else wants to know about it you know and then there's a scallop diving it, it kind of goes on and on yeah yeah well do tell us a little bit about that the oysters are, are absolutely fascinating they're brought at six months old is it from cornwall yeah. and then joe takes over being their their farmer tell us how that works um, yeah, so um, I'm actually quite fortunate because Joe uh, is one of my neighbours and he actually rents a shed down um, next door to my husband. So we see him most days down building his trestles and you can see the work that he puts into them all. Um, and I, he works on tides and goes out and he put them all, when they arrive, he puts them, grades them all into their sizes and he pops them into their um, bags and they're like meshed bags that he can then turn over to because as they grow, they start to stick together. So obviously you don't want that. So every so often he goes down and he turns them over and then grades them again because um, I take it they don't all grow at the same rate. Um, grades them back into their bags. And, I, and that's kind of the process of it until they're then at the size that he wants and ready to eat. And I mean, I'm not an oyster lover. I never have been. Um, But the feedback that we get from Joe's oysters is just amazing. I mean, we had someone um, that was um, up and they had been to the big oyster place in Galway in Ireland. um, And they tasted, yeah, it was a big oyster festival and they tasted so many different oysters. And they they said that Joe's was better than any of the ones that they tasted there. So, I mean, it is amazing. And it's just nice to support, you know, someone who's doing the work like that. Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. And the scallop diving, um, you know, who knew? I mean, I suppose, it, and you do say this in the book, we don't really understand shellfish and, and seafood enough. You know, fish is sort of, we get, I mean, I get it from the fishmongers. I'm lucky to have an amazing fishmonger uh, who's got a queue around the block at the moment oh, during lockdown. Is. But um, but most people don't. They go to the supermarket and they buy it yeah. in a shrimp wrap tray and they don't really understand any of its history and, and this is what you do in the book you reveal it you you expose every sort of element about it so it's it's tastier it's more real and we understand the backstory to it and it's really important in terms of sustainability both of you know fishermen's jobs but also of the planet yeah. and you know oysters mussels are really important yeah, in terms yeah. of the bivalves they're probably the most sustainable thing that we can actually eat aren't they yeah. um yeah so well the divers they go out and there's maybe there'll be at least two of them on the boat um three um for kind of to get more diving in um and they they use um their air and they go down they go down to the depths and the scallops seem to be found more kind of on sandy ground um and the scallops will never go down deeper they always come up um, so the divers go down and they can be they can do three dives a day and it can be up to maybe 40 minutes depending on the depth that they're at I'm not sure exactly how it works for the kind of air and the time and things like that but the deeper they go the less time on the bottom they have um, so yeah they go they do their dive and then they come out of the water and they'll grade their scallops they've got they've then got to have a bit of a break um, to to let the oxygen I think settle back and things and then they'll yeah they'll do three dives a day so I mean it's pretty hard work as well it's the same as kind of being out fishing you know they've got they've got the cold they've got the weather to deal with um, so yeah it's it's pretty amazing um, and then they grade them all into their sizes um, and yeah I mean it's just as you say again it's sustainable you know it's it, it's being kind to the seabed and things. You also talk about the history of Olapool, and that's really important. There's a lot of depth here. There's a lot of roots. There's a lot of connections. Why did you feel it was so important to to talk about Olapool as a place? 
Well, I think, yeah, because for us, well, and me growing up in Liverpool and Fenella, you know, now living here, it's obviously become more and more, it becomes more and more important as you grow up, I guess. And you, you know, you need to understand the fishing, you need to understand why there's not herring boats anymore, you know, why, you know, why they're doing, you know, some trawlers and some creel fish and the different areas that you can and all the rest of it. And I think, you know, you can bury your head in the sand and not really think about it at all. And like you say, just get get things from the supermarket but for us we we just kind of want to educate ourselves and others of what's good fishing around Alpo, what should be done what was done in the past you know why things change because it's interesting because you should know so that you you pick the right choices i guess you you know you know why you're getting hand dive scallops instead of dredge you know whichever way you want to go you've got your reasons behind it and you know all like thing it's all different fishing in Alpo, and we just wanted to get the history of it so we could get even more of a feel for it and how it's changed and and yeah that was just a really important part for us I guess. You know back in the 1700s Ullapool was actually made into a fishing village it was employment that was specifically for Ullapool to create an industry wasn't it? Yeah that was the first idea about it and then it was all well for the herring fishing so that's when all the kind of all the Klondikers came in that's when that was huge Um, and that was yeah all around Ullapool kind of all around the west coast and they used to go. They used to go way out to sea, way out to the Minch, um, back in the yeah, like the seventeen hundreds. Um, and um, yeah, it was just uh, the Klondikers were here for ages, and then they kind of disappeared in the when was it the well not that long ago really in the nineteen nineteen eighties was yeah. the end of that and the cold the beginning of the Cold War. Um, started using kind of the land then, didn't they? They started to work, you know, because it kind of lost its boom. Well, they so overfished before, it, yeah. yeah. So then they started working off the land and crofting things. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it came back again with the mackerel, didn't it? Yeah. Because it was overfished and they put they stopped for a while. And you do quite rightly talk about responsible fish buying. It's really important not to overfish. Tell us about the Good Fish Guide, the Marine Conservation Society's Good Fish Guide. Yeah, so that's just basically, um, you can just go online. They've got a kind of a website online. And you basically just type in like what fish you want to know about. And they'll tell you all about how it's fished, like where you can get it from around the UK. So, you know, if, if for example, like sea bass up here say if I felt like eating sea bass and I'd just go to the shops to get sea bass actually I could go on to the 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 guide and type it in and it'll be like you don't get it around Scotland it comes from you know down south of England or you know whatever they say and then actually you decide that well maybe I won't buy that maybe I'll buy something more around Scotland just now and then it's quite it's just quite good in that way it it kind of educates everyone on on actually why you're eating these things or you know things that are coming in from Thailand prawns from Thailand you know it's as simple as that like it just shows you that you can get langoustines from Scotland you know and it's just a bit different you know you don't and so it's it's just good at educating on different fish and how they're caught what they are as well you know if you're it's kind of got all of that stuff which is great yeah it's just about conscious consumption isn't it it's about making good choices talking about langoustines that's your second food moment. Why did you want to choose those of for your second food moment? Um, well, we serve langoustines in the shack and we go through so many langoustines and the response that we get from people is always, it's always lovely. You know, they're plump, they're fresh and I think people are kind of blown away with how nice and fresh they are. Um, and as Kirsty was saying earlier, Josh, um, he lands the langoustines for us. 
um, and we just go through boxes of them and actually we're very lucky that we get to eat them at home um, you know we've we're, we've got them on our doorstep and Kirsty gets probably more than her fair share of them through Joss and at night times and things so we so yeah it's just a, a lovely produce that we use and we wanted to highlight it because it's it, it's so simple as well to, they're so simple to cook but yet so so beautiful to eat and of course you cooked them for no less than mary berry yeah, yeah that was pretty awesome and it was quite a highlight of the shack i guess um, and it was totally what well, wasn't meant to happen we got called up because initially they wanted to film a fisherman so they want they phoned up the peer the peer phoned up me because they wanted to get hold of Josh well both of us they wanted to get hold of Josh but he's never answered his phone everyone knows Typical that fisherman yeah so they don't even bother calling him so they phoned us up and they're like we're looking for a fisherman and um, you know that we can film going out and getting langoustines taking them in and then Mary wants to cook them on the beach so we were kind of like. Um, oh yeah you know that's great and it was our first year of opening yeah so you know we were just wanting to get as any publicity as we could we thought we'd be cheeky and we were like you know we've got a seafood shack that we sell langoustines and they were like all right okay whatever basically (laughs) pawning us off yeah not here (laughs) not really interested which is fair enough but when they came up and they're like the you know the team to kind of suss out everything they were like well we'll come and have a look at the shack anyway and so they came along they're like oh yeah maybe we could do something here um, and then in the end, it was awesome. Mary Berry came up and she came to the shack, which was great, amazing for us. Um, and then we went and cooked the langoustines on the beach with her. Josh went out for like the one of like nearly all the day fishing with the crew, and that didn't even make the cut in the end. <laughs> so I think it was, it was a waste of his time, really. But it was great for us. We were delighted. Yeah, so it was good. And she, which program was that? Um, it was the Mary Berry Everyday Life. Everyday Life, yeah, yeah. So BBC. her program. Yeah, BBC. Yeah. Your third food moment. It's really generous of you, actually, to commit one of your food moments to Charlotte's illustrations in the book. But but she's a great friend, and oh. that's what your book is all about. It is actually giving back to the local people who make you, you. And she's a very much imp- an important part of this book. Tell yeah. us about the illustrations. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so Charlotte, as you said, is a really good friend. Um, and she's done a lot of illustrations around Allapool. Um, she's done a lot of work for the pier. She's done a lot of um, stuff for a company who are now doing gin. And just she's got um, a um, gallery in Allapool. And, you know, we just know, we know her personally, so we know how hard she works. And actually, we both love her, her illustrations. Yeah. So it was a no-brainer when we were like, you know, what do we want to do? And as you said, you know we've we've had so much support from people so you want to be able to in a way give it back as much as you can um so so yeah we chose charlotte to do it and she's just she's just amazing i mean they just make the book for us you know it's got the colors the simplicity i mean we say simplicity for from us but it it probably wasn't from her you know a lot of hard work's gone into it but yeah it just makes it it makes the book for us it gives that vibe of olipool she does like the local boats and things which is really nice yeah, it, she really does. And, you know, you did win uh, the Jane Grigson Trust Award for Best Debut Cookbook. And I wonder if... I, I think that the illustrations are so much part of the book. When you applied for that uh, award, were the illustrations in the package at that point? Yeah, they were. Yeah, they were. So it's definitely, definitely part of it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's a whole team. Yeah. What does that award mean to you? Well, we're still pr- just pretty amazed that we won it. We were, you know, even just to be in the top three was awesome enough as it was. And 
genuinely like not just saying it we did not think we were going to win yeah because to be honest i mean we're not really like we're not really in that bookie world we don't we're pretty useless all that kind of stuff but it was really for um emily at kitchen press it was a huge thing for her as well so so who tell us a bit who you were up against yeah so we were up against um it was amy and emily um the ragoon sisters um, and their food looked absolutely amazing. Um, <laughs> and then there was um, Miranda York, and she was the writer, editor, and founder of At the Table. Um, so we both looked at both of their social medias. I remember us looking yeah. at them and looking at all the Ragoon sisters' food looked so good, <laughs> and they were constantly like posting different things. You know, they were super active, yeah. and their, yeah, they were, and their food looked amazing. And um, Miranda's books looked amazing, and so we were just like, no, there's no way, but we're runners up, so that's that's more than fine. When they said that we'd won the award, um, they'd also said, you know, how obviously it was great for us and for the book and the publicity and things. But they said, you know, it was also really good for Emily at Kitchen Press because, you know, she's a small publisher um, to highlight that um, and to highlight her as her uh, publisher. They said it, it would be really good for her. So it was great because we were both winning in a way and Emily's worked so hard for us. So it was nice that she got it some as well. It's a fantastic award. It's it's really supports the small people in the industry and, uh, you know, the judges are the biggest names in the industry too. So it's a wonderful initiative. So your fourth food moment is really about buying seafood correctly. It is the kind of the revolutionary spirit that kind of, it's like a tide, isn't it? It's a tidal wave that's kind of pushing for, through this book. But you're not, over the top about it you're not preachy you're just teaching us how to buy fish better and seafood better and to really understand where it comes from and its connection just give us a spirit of that revolution it seems such a simple thing you know like i don't know as a sign so we wouldn't ever go and buy fish from the supermarket like i don't think I, i can't even really remember doing it and that's not to sound in a snobby way at all because we just wouldn't think to do it you know we have the fishmonger here we've got the guys with the boats but we are so lucky to have that you know like that is just because we're on a west coast village right by the sea you know so for us it's kind of like we just wouldn't do that so we just kind of wanted to you know give people maybe help and ideas of how to build up those relationships you know it's one of my friends in Aberdeen is just speaking to her about it a couple months ago she was like always going to the supermarket to buy fish and now she's like got this new relationship with her local fishmonger and every Wednesday they go to him and I think that's getting more popular now you know I think yeah. back a few years ago maybe it wasn't it kind of died down so I just think it's I guess we just wanted people to reconnect connect with that kind of you know obviously it is it's so easy to go to tesco's or your big shop get everything there but actually to kind of try and set aside maybe a day a week where you go and do your fish shop you know and you go and go to your local fishmonger or even you know try and get just build relationships with other fishermen as well and see if you can buy direct to them and it was just kind of to i don't know yeah just kind of break through that and and kind of help people realize that it's kind of you can do it it's not that hard now now, it's very far north <laughs> in terms of the seafood shack. Um, when are you opening again and what are your expectations during this weird time? Um, well, we are now closed until April. So um, that's us kind of hunker down for winter and get all our renovations and projects and fun things for next year. Um, but I mean, yeah, obviously talking about COVID, you know, we've actually had we've actually been really lucky 
Um, because we're outside, I think people are, you know, wanted to maybe feel felt a bit safer eating outside. Um, so we we've had a great year. We've had a lot of support. Um, so, I mean, if it's anything like last year and it starts from April, then, yeah, I mean, we can't really ask for much more. We've had so much support. We've had so many people. I think, you know, obviously people can't go abroad, so they're doing their staycations and they're doing the North Coast 500. So, I mean, Alapool itself and, and the shack has, has been really, really busy. So, yeah. Yeah. Do, actually, Fenella, just do say what that um, 500 is. I only heard about that recently. Just explain that amazing highway. Well, it's the North Coast 500. It's, it's a bit of a clever trick, really. It's kind of it's always been there, but people have advertised it and they've got um, great, you know, insights and, and, and drive behind it. But it's, it's really the North Coast 500 is actually from, say, Inverness all the way through up north, coming through... Um, Tongue, um, and then and through Long Kyle Skew, and then up towards through Alapool, up towards Applecross, and back right back round, and it's basically the coastal route. Um, so yeah, it's a beautiful drive, yeah. uh, and it's just it's just kicked off. We were really fortunate, it's actually. Yeah, when we opened in 2016, yeah. it was kind of I think the first year that they started to do it, and then the second year it just went mad. And I think it was just it was picked up in people in London. It was put onto adverts. It was put onto aircrafts and things like that into their magazines, and it's just gone mad. And it's got its pros and its cons. But I mean, there's plenty of businesses like us and accommodations that are are really thriving from it, and little little villages. I think that maybe needed that boost have really taken off from it all. So yeah, so it's it's worked. They've done they've done a great job in it all. Yeah, it has. Thank you so much, you two. I really love the fact that it's mm. just one of those small stories that's just got a whole you know <laughs> surge behind it. Um, best of luck with it, and uh, good luck when it opens again next next year. I hope to get there. But um, yeah, thank you thank very you. much indeed. Yeah, no, thank, thank you, you very so much. much. Thanks for having us. Yeah. Thanks for listening. You can buy the seafood shack and all the books featured on Cooking the Books by clicking on the bookshop tab at jellysmith.com. And budding food writers can apply for the Best First Book Award at janegrigsontrust.org.uk. Next week, I'm picking my way through the etiquette of British food history with Penn Vogler in her fabulously named book, Scoff. I'll see you then. Mm-hmm.